These last three messages have been sort of extra special messages. Sometimes the last thing a person says has great importance. We find that true of Jesus' words in the end of Matthew chapter 28. He gave parting words and said he'd be with them and they were to go and teach everybody what he taught them. They were to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and he would be with them, he would help them do these things. The title of the message today is The Cross is Central. You see, the cross takes care of it all. What do we mean by the cross? Refers to Jesus' death on the cross, his atoning death for the sins of the whole world, all races, all statuses, all ages, all sexes, everything. He died for you, he died for me, he died for everyone. The cross takes care of it all. God's justice is satisfied. Jesus paid the price for the guilt of our sin. What great love he showed to us. And we sang about these things, did we not? Here's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. <clears throat> we see how central this is. He says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said that's the central thing. That's the main thing. That's what it's all about. And you see, by saying this, he's also indicating that it's faith alone It's not by Old Testament mosaic laws and circumcision or good works. It's all done by Jesus. He gets all the credit and the honor and the glory. In the songs, we saw how needy we all are, but how gracious and loving he is. He goes on here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, After saying, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, he goes on to say this, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says it's not because I'm a great speaker. I'm not into oratory, rhetoric, clever arguments. Instead, it's by the Spirit of God, His power. It's by the truth of the gospel. It's by reality. It's by God's gift and God's grace. And so it's fitting for us today to focus on the death of Jesus on the cross. He paid it all. 
You remember when he died on the cross? He said some very revealing, anguished words. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was actually taking the words of Psalm 22, verse 1, into his own lips at that time. Now, why had the father forsaken the son? Because of sin, our sin. Because Jesus had never sinned. He was virgin born. He'd never done anything wrong, either in thought or act. But now he was being forsaken because of sin. The eternal fellowship between father and son was broken temporarily because of his death for us. And so that scripture was abundantly fulfilled. And I believe it was far more than a physical death, horrible as that was. It was a spiritual death as well. It was a spiritual kind of thing as well as the physical. And God's son was the only one who was able to do the atoning sacrifice, who was able to so give himself that the debt would be paid, justice would be satisfied, we could be forgiven, we could be given the gift of everlasting life, a place in heaven with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so reality and God's power and God's spirit were the things that really counted. Just a few hours after his death on the cross, we come to the Last Supper. Jesus said some very, very revealing and true words to them and to us. 26 beginning in verse 26 of Matthew. As they were eating, it was during the meal, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Also, he said, as we see elsewhere, this do in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, All of you drink of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so in these few words, he tells us that his body and his blood are pictured here by the bread and by the cup. And when we do the communion, the Eucharist, we are taking part of our thanksgiving to God for what he did for us. In remembrance, he did these things. He fulfilled the Old Testament Mosaic law. He set it aside. It is superseded by the New Testament of the Lord Jesus, herein inaugurated at the Last Supper and accomplished on the cross. Now, bearing this in mind, let's see what it says back in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 17, 
verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, because it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. So God gave them blood of animals in the Old Testament, but then in the New, he gave us the blood of his Son, beginning of Hebrews chapter 10, we see really there's no comparison between the two. The blood of the animals pointed to the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. I put my full faith in Jesus when I was 19. It was about a half year later when I followed him in baptism, as he told us to do. And when the pastor was getting ready to baptize me as I was standing there with him in the baptistry, he asked if anybody would like to say anything. Well, one person said something. Norma Lee was the one who had helped me most to become a Christian. What did she say? Well, actually, she quoted from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. How true that is and how that's expressed in baptism. Because when a person goes into the water, it's a picture not only of the death of Jesus and his burial, but a picture of our dying to self and sin and putting away and burying the old life. And when a person comes up out of the water, that's a picture of resurrection. Not only the resurrection of Jesus, but our own spiritual resurrection. It's basically saying, I put away sin, now I want to devote my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what a beautiful statement from Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no other. It's the only name given whereby we may be saved. Now this all ties in, does it not, with the book of Galatians. Some of you were here and pretty well heard all the messages I recently gave on the book of Galatians. How does it tie in with the message of Galatians? Well, here's what it says in Galatians 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Then he makes quite an application here in verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who gave himself for me and who loved me. 
Also, as we go to the end of the book, in chapter 6, verse 12, and reading onward, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me, and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And so again he flows from the cross itself what it means to an application in our own lives. And the thing is so important is when we put our faith in Christ, that's how we're saved, then we become new people, new creatures in him. Now let's remember all of that and let's go back to an amazing chapter in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Let's go back to chapter 22 of Genesis. This is a beautiful picture, a type of Jesus, of his death, and of his resurrection. It's an amazing chapter, a unique chapter, as it were. And it all points to the sufficiency and reality of the cross. And so then, back to Genesis 22, beginning with verse 1. And it happened after these things that God did test Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, Look, here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac. That's the one you see God had made the promise through whom all the world would be blessed. And so in that sense, he was an only son. Whom you love. So take your son, the one that you love, your only son, and get into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'll tell you about. What a shocking command. And sometimes we wonder, how in the world did Abraham know that really came from God? How could God order him to do such a horrible thing? And Abraham got up early in the morning, so it doesn't tell us about <laughs> his questioning it at all. Somehow he knew that it was God Almighty who had told him to do this. So he got up early in the morning. He didn't let any grass grow under his feet. And he saddled his donkey. And he took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering. And he got up and he went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day... Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place way off. And Abraham said to his young men, You stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over yonder and worship and come again to you. 
Now, just a quick reading. You might skip over that part. But Abraham told the people, his servants, we're going to come back. He said that knowing full well he was going to have to kill his son. What in the world was he thinking? Well, we understand how to answer that when we go to the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, we find in chapter 11, beginning with verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, the promise as we indicated that all the world would be blessed through Isaac, he who had received those promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall your seed be called. And here's the, the key. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which also he received him in a symbol, in a figure. So the reason Abraham could tell his servants were going to come back because of God's promise. God's promise was that through Isaac, all the world would be blessed. But now God had told him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. So Abraham figured the only way for God to complete his promise that all the world would be blessed through him is after I have offered him as a sacrifice, after I've killed him, God will raise him from the dead. <laughs> so that explains the faith that he had, why he could tell his servants that. We will come back. And, of course, they did. Going back then to Genesis, after he said, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you, he went on this way. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. So now they are just the two of them going on up there. And Isaac spoke to Abraham his father, and he said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? <laughs> that didn't make too much sense to him. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. You kind of wonder what Isaac was thinking at this point. <laughs> and they came to the place which God had told him about. And Abraham built an altar there, and he laid the wood in order, and he tied up Isaac, his son, which apparently did not resist, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now imagine if you'd been Isaac <laughs> and your dad did that to you and he's getting ready to kill you. And Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to kill his son. Now here's where God then really stepped in. <laughs> and the angel of the Lord called to him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham. 
And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand upon the lad, neither do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So you see, God had told him to do it, but then at the last second, you might say, he stopped him. But symbolically, it was done. It was an act accomplished. Figuratively, his son had been killed. And figuratively, therefore, his son was raised from the dead. And so Isaac was a type of Jesus. And this figurative death and resurrection was a type of the centrality of the cross and the atoning work that the Lord Jesus did. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, it goes on to say, and he looked. And look, behind him, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. <laughs> you remember Abraham had said, God will provide <laughs> a sacrifice. And here was the sacrifice. God provided it. I don't think usually rams get caught in thickets like this. At any rate, at that time, at that place, that's precisely what happened. So instead of offering his son, he offered the ram, which was a picture, therefore, of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. That means God will see, God will provide. Many years ago, a missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, had founded the China Inland Mission. They especially went inland to help people know about Jesus Christ and the cross. And he prayed an amazing thing, I think it was 1887, that God would give them 100 new missionaries. Imagine what such a prayer would entail. If you're head of a mission society and you pray for 100 new missionaries, where's the money going to come from to support that multitude of missionaries? But it happened. Missionaries were provided. The prayer was answered. And this incident, Jehovah Jireh, God will see, God will provide. Throughout his career, I believe, was one passage of scripture that helped him a whole lot. I think of what it says in Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so he called the place Jehovah, God, Jireh, will see, will provide. And he does it for his people, for all of us who trust in him and put him first in our lives. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called Abram out of heaven the second time, and he said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, for because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, 
that in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men with Isaac, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now remember how God had pointed out that Abraham had not withheld his son, his dearly only beloved son. He was that committed to God. He would give his most precious possession of all, you might say. And so that sets a beautiful example for us. Should we not give our very best? Should we not submit everything to the Lord Jesus who gave his very best and who submitted all that we might be saved? And so I encourage you to remember these things, to hold them dear, to believe them, to trust in the Lord Jesus, to follow him fully in whatever way he may guide you. May he bless you as a church, as a people, as individuals, and may God truly use you here for his honor and glory. It's been a great privilege for June and me to be here. Been so good to have Philip and others of our family join us as well at times. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for the centrality of the cross. We thank you for all it means and for what you did. We can hardly grasp the enormity of your suffering and what the atonement truly accomplishes. But we praise you and we honor you for it. We think of Paul's words. He would know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. May this be central to our lives as we trust you and give you our lives. May we do this from our heart and may we do it every day. And may we live in hope of the great promises you've given to us all. Thank you so much. Bless you, honor you, praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.